Thanks guys. Yes, it's IJM Sunday and we're really lucky to have Bryn Frere-Smith here with us today to talk to us about his experience working for IJM in the Dominican Republic. So Bryn, thanks so much for being with us. No, thanks for having me. So those of you who were at our IJM uh, Make Slave Free evening in January will remember Bryn. He was one of our panellists. He uh, used to work for the Met Police and currently works for Justice and Care. And he spent a year um, in the Dominican Republic working for IJM. So we're just going to hear a bit about his experience and how that's impacted his life. So Bryn, what connected you with IJM in the first place? Yeah, so I first heard about IJM, I think it must have been right in the early days, because I know that we recently celebrated IJM's 20th anniversary, and I have this memory of being a young teenage boy at a, a church event. It might have been a Christian Bible camp, or it might have just been in a church service. And listening to someone stand on stage and talk about their experience I think he worked as an investigator in Southeast Asia and he spoke about an investigation involving a family that had been enslaved on a rice farm and being involved in identifying um, that family, getting evidence of what was taking place and returning with the police to release them from this position of slavery and then hold their captors to justice. And I just remember thinking that is amazing and as a young easily influenced to some extent um, guy. I just thought, wow, what an amazing thing to do with your life as a Christian. And I think typical um, experiences of hearing people talk, maybe in an overseas context or as a missionary, had normally focused around other areas. I had never heard anybody think talk about fighting for justice overseas as a Christian before. So it planted a little seed that sort of stayed with me for, for several years to come. So how did you end up specifically in the Dominican Republic? How did I end up in the Dominican Republic? I, I, I lied. I have sinned and I lied on my CV in, in the short answer to that. I know, isn't that dreadful? And it's so good to get it off my chest now. <laughs> I, I remember putting my CV in, I happened to leave on the fact that I spoke good Spanish, which was at best a huge um, bit of spit polishing of, of, of the truth of the reality was I had a handful of words from Spanish holidays and uh, a little bit of time in Bolivia when I was an 18 year old, but really I remembered nothing. So that was a bit naughty. I was supposed to be going to Bangalore in India and a couple of weeks beforehand they called me and said, hey, we've just noticed that you're a Spanish speaker, which led to the most painful telephone interview with Fernando, who was the office director at the time, entirely in Spanish. And I sort of guessed my way through most of the questions and gave monosyllabic answers and somehow um, by the glory of the Lord passed that interview to the point that they decided to, to take me to the Dominican Republic. So the short answer is I got there through lying but um, the longer answer is I, I used to be a police officer as you said at the start. I spent time working in the Met before that I worked for Norfolk Police. I left um, five or six years ago now 2014 and uh, 
nothing, no scandalous reasons you'll be pleased to hear, but uh, I was a little frustrated with the job and I thought, well, maybe I can explore what life has on offer outside of the police. So I left, I ended up working in private security. About five years of that was working as a bodyguard uh, for a number of different clients in the UK and around the world. I arrived, uh, ended up working as a security advisor to a venture capital firm in Mayfair with a very high profile board of directors. And uh, a year of that, got to the end of that year and just thought, how have I ended up here? I, I really felt a call on my life to pursue justice in some, some context, some professional context. And I've ended up in Bruton Street. And uh, so I looked at uh, what would happen, what would happen if I, if I left this job? And I remember meeting with my pastor at the time, an amazing guy called John Valentine, a good friend, and we sat down together. And he said, well, if you took out money, if you didn't worry about paying bills, you know, what would you choose to do? And I remembered IJM and I thought, I think I would go and work for them. So I, I looked up uh, opportunities to work for them. There was one paid position, which was to be the director of investigations and law enforcement development in Ghana. And I thought, well, that's it. That's my job. I will go and do that. I'll move to Ghana. I'll sort that right out. And, uh, and then I read the prerequisite materials and it was sort of must have served 25 years in law enforcement, must have been responsible for hundreds of members of staff. I think they were looking for someone with a slightly more impressive set of uh, experiences and skills than I possessed. So even with the best embellishment in the world, I thought I can't, I can't qualify for that. But what if I just go and work for them for free? And they do a, a, an intern program at iGEM and they do a fellowship program. And I, uh, so I went and worked as a fellow, which is someone with professional experience. And they, they sent me to the Dominican Republic. So what was your experience when you were out there? What were you doing? Oh, wow. It was just the most remarkable 12 months. It was, um, it was sort of polarised in every respect. The Dominican Republic in many parts of the country in many ways is paradise. It's in the Caribbean, there are white beaches, there's beautiful turquoise ocean, you know, it's water sports and scuba diving and all those things. The reason many people think of the Dominican Republic as being a holiday destination, but what they don't know is it's an extremely poor country on the whole. And it's the country of the haves and the have-nots. Most of the country exists as a have-not. And, and that polarity, it, it tends to cultivate a sense of trying to get that next rung up the ladder. And, and there is corruption and there is a legislation that's not being enforced. But one of the uh, consequences of this situation is that there is a very high amount of prostitution is legal, for one. But there's a very high percentage of children working in the sex industry. Now, I use the term working um, uh, loosely because I don't believe, as I'm sure you don't, that any child um, found in the sex industry is doing so by choice, that they have any agency in making that decision. Um, but but that's, that. the original IGM study found that 10% uh, of the sex workers they encountered were under 18. And the amount of sex workers is vast. Um, so it's, it's quite a significant number. And the project... Uh, that I, I worked with for a year, a project that your church support investigates the commercial sexual exploitation of children. So children in the sex industry, why are they there? What circumstances have led to that? Is there someone controlling them, coercing them, trafficking them? And if so, we need to enact the legislation, get the police there, get the evidence and remove that child from a position of harm and suffering and hold the people that are controlling that child to justice. So that, that was the project. I went to work as an investigator there. Um, when I got there, there were two local investigators, Dominican guys, and I worked alongside them for IJM. 
I obviously didn't fit in as a Dominican uh, local investigator, so the role I tended to go with was a European sex tourist who was on the island looking to find uh, women to have sex with and just reduce that age to a point that we knew that we had an underage girl that someone was trying to sell. And then we could respond to that with an investigation. We worked with the police and the, and the feds there as well. And it was, um, yeah, it was an exceptional year, most challenging thing I've ever done, um, hardest year of my life. I don't think I could say best year of my life because it, it just doesn't feel comfortable in that category. Um, but but it, it was rewarding and it's changed me forever. Um, and, and I think adjusted my, my the, tra the trajectory of my life um, uh, in some way, some significant way. So um, yeah, incredible experience, incredible team. Um, and, and it was quite a remarkable 12 months. Wow, that must've been really tough. So where did you see and how did you see God working in that space? Mm, good question. I, um, you know, I saw God everywhere. I, I don't know what your experience is, is like, Laura, but for me, whenever I've sort of left home, done a bit of traveling, something like that, sort of stepped outside of my comfort area, that's when I feel like I've been closest to God. And, and it was exactly the same in the Dominican Republic. I just felt, I really did feel quite an intimacy with, with the Lord during that year. And it's interesting, just before I left, I, I went to a few churches to talk about what I was going to do. They were IJM supporters and in two different parts of the country, someone came and said, I wanna pray for you. And uh, during that prayer, they said, I feel there's this verse in, in two Kings and it was about when uh, Elijah is uh, Syrian army is defend is gonna is going to come down and sort of take out Elijah and he his servant is looking up on the hill seeing them all on the hills and going what are we gonna do and Elijah's like totally relaxed and he said look again and he looks again and there's chariots of um, fire horses and chariots of fire up there and it's like God's God's army is there even though no one else could see them and and I felt that whilst I was away I felt I felt protected I felt that the Lord had my back. And that was important. A lot of times we were in some really tricky situations and some very dark places. Um, it wasn't it wasn't free of of danger. And um, but I felt God was there with us. And what IJM do very very well is cultivate a sense of team. And we would celebrate the wins and mourn the losses. And we would we would come together in the morning for for a daily devotional prayer. In fact, this afternoon um, I'm meeting the team online. Uh, to because obviously we're under coronavirus lockdown in the UK so are they in the Dominican Republic so they're all working remotely but they're going on a, a zoom call I'm going to get to join them this afternoon too which is really great and they do that well so I did feel a sense of family um, but I'm not going to pretend it was easy and it was uh, and a palatable and and, and it's I'm struggling to 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 articulate it but it was it was a really difficult time uh, it was a difficult time spiritually, even though I knew God uh, intimately throughout. But I was meeting a lot of people that we couldn't help. Meeting a lot of people that we could, seeing breakthroughs, seeing the country begin to change, seeing huge systems start to, to take real notice of this issue and own it. And, and, and legislation that is somewhat unenforced before that project really started begin to be in, uh, enforced and, and the victory celebrated. There's a tide that's turning in the Dominican Republic. Glory be to God. Um, but it was tough too. And you meet a lot of hurting people, a lot of damaged people who are vulnerable. And it's just a sense of 
I can't help you. And I came back, if I'm being totally honest, um, Laura, uh, I came back with a few bruises emotionally. And I remember speaking to a counsellor who had been recommended to me by a friend who works at a Christian organisation. And um, he said, what's the matter? And I said, I've, I remember a girl and she was young and I don't feel that we got a chance to help her. And I still think about her now and I wish we could go back and help her. And I've been trying to communicate with the police and care workers and I just don't know how to how to do it, how to get her out. And and he sort of reminded me, you know, Jesus came to, to die for us. You know, he's our saviour. It's not you. And and it was a really important message, like give give God his job back. You're not the saviour of the world. Don't try and carry it all on your shoulders. You can do what you can do in the situation that you're put in at the time. And, and getting that right in my head is really important, actually. Um, it's not all on us. Uh, it, this is the Lord's work and sometimes he calls us into seasons where we can serve him and that was one of them um, but being able to remember like the Lord has it it's so huge it's such a huge issue for, to try and carry as an individual so that was really really important for me. Mm, such a helpful reminder um, thank you for sharing that um, so how has um, the experience impacted your life your faith um, and just, you know, your, how, how you live your life now. Yeah, quite significantly, I think. It was, um, it was difficult finishing that year, and there were opportunities uh, to pursue working with IJM in some capacity or to go and work for another NGO. I've done that now, but at the time, I just felt that wasn't right, and I wanted to do something with this experience. And so I came back and I had this idea for a coffee company, and I started a coffee company. Um, your lovely church, uh, uh, when you're back together in, in your church building, get to enjoy that coffee now. So I had this idea whilst I was out there and it came from an experience. So six months into my time in the Dominican Republic, I went on a job and it, it involved a, a child that had spoken to her school teacher about the fact um, she was being abused at home. Uh, and in fact, that her mum was now profiting from that abuse. So her mum had begun to sell her uh, to members of the community for money. And um, the teacher quite rightly spoke to the local police and the local police spoke to our project. And we responded and I was involved in that response. And to cut a long story short and to be appropriate with the details, that girl and her little brother and sister were removed um, from that situation. And her mother and members of her family that had been exploiting her and abusing her were arrested and held to justice. But it was an extremely moving story. And this young girl wrote a statement and it was one of the saddest, most heartbreaking things I've ever read, as it was being read out actually in a police station before we went on this operation. And the whole room just fell silent. Just a, a history of abuse that was, was horrendous. That's all she ever really knew. And uh, uh, it was a very, very difficult story, but, um, she was removed with a brother and sister. And, and one of the things people don't understand, I think, about when you're an investigator, and an undercover investigator at least, is there's this image, this glamorous image of you with a bulletproof vest on, kicking down the doors, you know, sweeping up a child in your arms. It doesn't look like that. That's not reality. What it means is you gather evidence and you step back. Because the sad reality is it could you could be in a situation one day where that individual is once again in a situation of exploitation. You walk in and they go, I know that guy because one day he was with the police officers and he came and took me. So you don't do that bit. You don't get to be the big arms around someone and say, hey, you're loved and you matter and this life's gonna change now, it's gonna get better. 
And that's the bit I struggle with. But my colleagues went in, she was taken and uh, taken to a care home with her brother and sister. And she turned to my colleague in the aftercare department and said, oh, can you get one thing for me before we leave? And she asked for her teddy bear. And I got a picture of her in the back of the car with my colleague and her little brother and sister. And she had this teddy bear on her lap and it was not what you would imagine as a teddy bear. You know, it barely resembled a bear. It was sort of cobbled together. Um, it's just a really smelly rag doll thing. And, and it broke my heart that the only thing of value that she had that she wanted to take from one life into the next was a rag doll um, that was probably given to her by an abusive parent. And uh, it did something and it was Christmas time. Ironically, the Christmas before, I was working as a bodyguard. I was going around Harrods uh, Toy Kingdom with a, a little prince who had been told by his carers, anything the child touches, just buy it. So we had this conger of people behind us sweeping up toys and putting them in baskets. And this kid would just go around, it was the third or fourth time we'd been there that week, go around pushing things off the shelf, being swept up in baskets, sent off to the hotel. Fast forward 12 months, the only thing this girl's got in the world is a smelly old rag doll. And that juxtaposition was very hard to, to, to not be stirred by that. So I came back, I had a couple of weeks home in the UK at Christmas and I just didn't know what to do, but I thought I wanna respond in some way. So we start a little fun between me and some family members and friends. I remember reaching out to my church, but I couldn't go online, couldn't bang the drum because of the nature of the work. We raised about 2000 pounds. So from that 2,000 pounds, we went out and bought 500 pounds worth of teddies that were white and fluffy and clean and new and other age appropriate toys that are still being handed out in the Dominican Republic now. But then we still had 1,500 pounds left. So for the next six months, I could work with the aftercare department and they would say, hey, we've got these children, they've got an infectious disease, we can't afford to get them tested, let alone treated. There's just not a budget for that. Do you think we could use some of that fund to do? Yes, absolutely, that's exactly what it's for. Let's help out this. And there were many versions of that, many iterations of that, and such a small amount of money went a really long way. And I know that's a, essentially a slush fund. It's not a sustainable way of doing charity. It's not gonna lead to systematic reform, um, but it helped people at a time that they needed help. And it was incredibly rewarding for me to at least be a link in that chain. And I thought, what if I can do this commercially? What if we can produce a product, sell it, and with the profits generated, we can give them away. And that's what we did. So we started a coffee company called Blue Bear Coffee Company. And that's what we're doing. We're sort of 18 months in. It's still really early days, but I do feel the Lord is absolutely blessing it. And even during coronavirus, like our sales are going up when they should be going down. We lost all our wholesale customers, all of them, churches, restaurants, coffee shops, closed their doors, but our sales are going up because great people are ordering coffee for their homes. So I'm really excited about the coffee business. And I'm back in the world of anti-human trafficking. I work for Justice and Care. Some of you might know them. They're a fantastic NGO working on this issue too. So um, that's in the sort of the immediate term how, how my life's been somewhat altered by that experience. Oh, amazing. Thank you. So um, if we were wanting um, ourselves individually to support IJM, because obviously as a church, we give money annually and we support IJM with our different events. But if personally we wanted to, to support them, how, how could we do that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I first came across IJM, I think I, mess, I missed it out of my story, but that's what I did. I started a direct debit. So I appreciate you probably already financially supporting them in some way. But if you personally feel a call, um, start a direct debit. Put £10 a month, £20 a month, whatever you feel the Lord calling you to do. Um, that's a good start. 
you know that's a good start prayer is it, it should not in any way um be uh, let me say that again you cannot fathom the real true effects and the scale and impact of prayer committed prayer and 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 especially in this sort of work that is so spiritual and uh, so pray you know, make a regular part of your week or your, your daily prayer life to say i'm going to put this time aside to pray for the Dominican Republic office or this issue of injustice or whatever is in here. Um, and, I mean, those are the key things. They do need financial support. That's the whole reason we started a company. Uh, money money can, can make a difference. You know, it's not it's not going to end everything. And the spiritual element is equally important. But but those two worlds, put get some skin in the game is what I would say, is, is get an involvement in some way. And then there are other vehicles that you can support. Um, there are ways that you can support IJM. I would suggest getting in touch with someone from the IJM UK office and saying, hey, this really matters to me. I don't know if I can help or contribute in, in an immediate way, but I want to help. And I'm sure they'll come up with lots of creative ways that you might be able to be an ambassador for them in some way. Brilliant. Bryn, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for sharing your experience uh, and your heart for justice. We're going to head over to worship in just a moment. But before we do, uh, you, you've mentioned how important prayer is. Um, and we really believe here at St Dee's that prayer changes things. So would you just mind praying for us, um, for us as a church and for us supporting IJM going forward? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, your promise that when a light shines in the darkness, uh, that light will not be overcome. And I, I thank you for the light that's shining in the Dominican Republic through this office. I pray for protection over that office. I pray protection over the staff, particularly during this time. And we pray for your protection, Lord God, on the children and the, the, the survivors that we are supporting on the long road to restoration. And they're all disparately located at the, at the moment throughout the country. We pray, Lord God, that you're providing for them, that you're caring for them and you're helping IJM care for them too. Thank you for this church. Thank you for St. Dee's. Thank you for putting justice on their hearts. Thank you for this commitment uh, that they've made to support IJM and support the DR office. Praise you for that, Lord. That's awesome. I pray for more of it. I pray that you will turn this church into a church that's known for its involvement in justice, in fighting for justice and having your heart for justice. Lord, may you be sovereign over these complicated issues. Break our heart, Lord, for, for what breaks yours. And we ask you to, to lead us on this journey, Lord God, to your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.